<laughs> you said it sounded like knocking. It did sound like clapping, kind of. So. Oh. <laughs> Even oh better. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Hey everyone, welcome to Two Takes on Film. My name is Wyatt Croy, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Heather Davenport. Hello. Hi, Heather. Oh How my was gosh, your... that was really nice. You used my real name today. I did. Your real name's Heather? <laughs> I'd forgotten after so long of calling you calling by me a cardboard box. He's <laughs> in miscellaneous. Two weeks in a row. Objects. Um... No, no. Um, you know, I just I'm in I'm in a kind mood tonight. Aww. There will be no making fun of of anything or anyone mm. here, mm. let alone you. I have a feeling that might not be true. No, it is. Oh. It's National Respecter Elders Day. So I just felt like now was a better time than ever to uh <laughs> to you know to start that. That right there feels like a little bit of a jab. That's a, that is basically you're saying I am an elder. I just well, you are technically my elder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that wasn't even a joke there. I still have not made fun of you. Before we get started, something just occurred right outside. Uh, if you watch uh, the video of of our recordings, which none of you have because we don't release those. But if you do, because we record over Zoom, so I'm used to seeing it a lot. There's a window right behind me. Um, I record in this, the back part of, of the, the building that my dad's business is in. Um, and the behind the building is not the best area. There's this yeah. path that runs like through our valley called the Greenway. And it was meant originally as like a bike path. Hmm. Uh, and it is like, it has the potential. It runs right along the river that kind of cuts through. Well, the road river that cuts through the road valley. Mm -hmm. It has the potential to be such a cool thing, but unfortunately, there's just a lot of like homeless camps along um, mm -hmm. the river, and it just makes it not a super safe place for like people jogging by themselves or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. been a lot of incidents, and the city has not done a good job at like restoring the the people who live there to like mm -hmm. give them better situations to live in elsewhere, and yeah. you know. There's a lot of like messy things, but not the best area kind of behind the building. So often after, because I record pretty late at night here, I see some interesting characters, you know, kind sure. of in the area yeah. Um, or, you know, right outside our door. It's, it's happened before. There's been people like walking around right behind the window yeah. in the middle of our recordings, which has yeah. been very scary. Yeah. Right before we were recording on my end, I started to hear. And so when we record, you know, I have headphones in that's giving me what Heather hears and also reverb of what I hear, but it makes everything around me like pretty muted because mm -hmm. anything that might be happening in the room I'm in, I'm only hearing like feed of my microphone, which is very close to my mouth. And so not picking those up super well. So sometimes when you start to hear things in the background, it's hard for Heather to like tell, is that coming from her side? Is it coming from my side? Is that just like a car on the street? Or is that literally in the room I'm like sitting in? So I started to hear... <laughs> Uh, sounds like popping um, multiple kind of in a row. Yeah. It was disconcerting. It's 
I, I'm not the type of person, you know, those memes that like they show like a white suburb house in like yeah. a middle class area yeah. on 4th of July. And they're like, were those fireworks or gunshots? Yeah, you know, totally. like, all right, come on. So I'm not trying to be that guy, but like, yeah, it was like slightly concerning. I took off my headphones. I could realize it was coming from like right outside the window behind me. So I go to look and there's a business right across like the street from us or like down the street from us, I guess who kind of share like a back parking lot and it's a, like an orthodontist business. And at night these women come in and clean it and they usually bring their kids along hmm. and they share the same dumpster as us kind of in between both the buildings. Oh. So they were, they were throwing away a bunch of stuff and the kids had found like giant sheets of like <gasps> packing material, oh. like the, the ones Bubble that you wrap. can pop, yeah. yeah, but the big ones, you know, yeah. the, the big ones. And they had lined them up and were jumping on oh them in like quick gosh. succession. Like they would jump on like three in a row and then move over. So it sounded like gunshots, but I just saw a bunch of little kids jumping oh, on massive bubble wrap. So it was so a very wholesome. Yeah, it was a very cute surprise. <laughs> but I was like, they were right outside the window. So I was not prepared to just sure. you know have to face like those actually being yeah. gunshots happening 12 yeah. feet outside yeah. my window. Yeah, but definitely uh, not. I was very happy to to see that you know, just bubble wrap. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> why is, why is popping bubble wrap so satisfying? I think it's just our natural tendency as humans for destruction. Mm. Mm, yeah. Especially as children. Mm. No, I have no idea. That's it's... my, <laughs> that's why I do it. <laughs> just to destroy something. <laughs> if you've, if you've ever wronged me in life, if you're listening to this and you've wronged me, just know that I I've gone home and I've written your name on one of those big <laughs> records. I just squeezed it and I'm not very strong. So it usually takes a while, but yeah. it's okay. I like to, you know, <laughs> take my time with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so dark. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Wow. Well, anyway, <laughs> Uh, transitioning into our episode today, we have a couple of big things to talk about. Um, the first of which is a, a piece of news in, in, in the news, in Hollywood news. Um, I don't know why I have such a hard time thinking of words you, to... What she's saying is you've heard of this. It's, it's big it's, news it's, right now. Yeah, it's big news. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a, a somber way to start the episode, but we did just want to take some time uh, just to talk about the incident that happened last week um, with the tragic and accidental shooting on the set of Rust, uh, which is a movie that has been filming in New Mexico, um, where Alec Baldwin, who's the producer of the film, a producer of the film, um, and who's also starring in the film, um, fired a prop gun. A prop gun went off that ultimately ended in the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, um, as well as injuring the director of the film, Joel Souza. Um, So first and foremost, we just want to say that our thoughts go out to Helena's family, and she has a husband, uh, Matthew, as well as a young son. I don't know how old he is. I saw a picture of him. I'm guessing maybe like seven-ish, but he's young. Um, So yeah, our thoughts just go out to her family, obviously, with this this tragic loss, um, but also to Joel Souza, um, who has since been released from the hospital, um, which is great. But, uh, and then of course, also to Alec Baldwin, um, 
it's just an impossible tragedy that I think has stirred up a lot within Hollywood regarding set safety and um, even a conversation about the use of um, ammunition and real uh, guns and all of that as part of filming. Um, but first and foremost is, is just plainly a tragedy. So, um, this is not the first time that this has happened, uh, on a film set. There have been a few instances of really tragic things happening on film sets. Um, but one in particular, uh, happened on the set of the crow and yeah. Wyatt, do you just want to tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah. So in 1993, during filming of The Crow, which was this kind of um, gothic indie uh, superhero movie starring Brandon Lee, actually the son of famous martial artist Bruce Lee, uh, a prop gun was fired um, misproperly. I, I don't remember exactly misproperly. I don't think that's a real word, but uh, improperly. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember exactly the cause of it, but Brandon Lee, the main character of the film, was accidentally shot and killed. I think he was taken to a hospital, <clears throat> pronounced dead, you know, day of kind of thing, um, similar to this, this story. Uh, and it, it was a huge story at the time. Obviously, he was a he was a famous actor. Um, they still ended up finishing the film. Hmm. They they were pretty much done with the film and they they completed it with the use of stunt double and um, just kind of moving around footage. Uh, I know there's a big controversy there. Like, should yeah. they, shouldn't they? Sure. Um, however, the film has really gained a cult following. It's actually, it's quite a good film. Um, although I think a lot of it's, it's following kind of has to do with the fact that he did die on set, but, mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of crazy because I think that happened. And again, that was 93. And in the wake of it, people said like, Hey, we're, we're moving into the 21st century. Like this isn't something that can happen anymore. Yeah, like yeah. we are way too advanced for like freak things like this. Like we have way too many protocols, way too right. many safety measurements just on our equipment. Like equipment is so advanced and fine tuned. Like the old days, it kind of makes sense. Like mm -hmm. things, sure. mechanics, like they were, they were so new cars were like, might just explode. Like who knows? Yeah. Not actually, but you know, we're, we, we have so many ways to stop this, like yeah. this, the, this cannot happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 30 years later, mm -hmm. here we are. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, not to say that things didn't improve, obviously it's, it's been quite some time since then, yeah. but accidents can still happen. Mistakes can still happen. And there's, there's never too much you can do to make sure. like safe environments for the mm -hmm. workplace, mm -hmm. the, the movie set or, or any workplace, especially totally. when you're dealing with prop guns and firearms and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 So since, um, this has happened, there have been a couple of things that have come out as far as, um, you know, just people advocating for change. There's actually a California state Senator, Dave Cortezi Cortez, mm -hmm. uh, who is proposing, um, putting, a law through to essentially ban live weapons on movie sets as well as on theatrical productions. Um, and then on Friday, the day after the shooting, um, ABC, ABC's show, uh, The Rookie, which is based around police officers, uh, made the decision to ban real guns on set. So mm. um, pretty quickly, people are, are calling change into action. And um, I don't know. I guess like you just mentioned, like, I'm just curious as to why <laughs> we're still using real guns. Like 
special effects seems to have come so far uh, over the years. And obviously so much can be done. So what is, what is even the purpose of having real guns and, and the risk of that, having that on set, is it visually that much of an impact or difference between using the real thing versus like a special effect? Yeah, I think even in the world of special effects, uh, muzzle flashes and like, yeah, you know, the smoke that comes out of a gun, basically, besides the cocking and the kind of actor reacting, your mm-hmm. visual cue for a gun going off uh, are historically very hard to like accurately make with CGI. Mm-hmm. However, it's definitely doable. Um, I don't have a good answer for you as far as, you know, yeah. why we still do use, um, you know, live firearms and things like that. I, mm-hmm. I even listened to a brief interview given by a prop master. Um, it was, I mean, it was day of kind of right after it happened. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't affiliated with the set or anything. Yeah. He was just a prop master in Hollywood. And it was a pretty brief interview with a CNN anchor. And, and obviously the CNN anchor hadn't had enough time to really do a lot of like sure. prepping for the questions. So I mm-hmm. don't think we got the best answers, but a lot of his answers, basically the CNN anchor was kind of like, like why like what you were saying like why do we even have this Mm -hmm. and he was trying to explain the differences and kind of how something like this can happen and Mm -hmm. the dangers and it just really didn't make a lot of sense to Mm -hmm. me it seemed like everything was like that seems that seems quite avoidable and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that yeah I don't know it's it's not my field of expertise by any means Mm -hmm. um but Mm -hmm. it does seem like there there needs to be a different way yeah. Even if this is only happening once every three decades, it's it's not. It's it's too much. Yeah, yeah, too much. Once Anything, every every three decades is still too right. often. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's never there is never too much you can do to mm-hmm. like ensure the safety of your actors. And just the impact of this one truly, I think, will be felt for a while. And uh for for Alec Baldwin yeah. being, you know, now. I don't know. I don't know about the legal, you know, yeah. side of it. Things are still really sure. like at the at the beginning stages. I think totally. this is going to be a long process for him and a, obviously like very painful process. Totally. Um, I can't even imagine um, what he must be going through and what everyone involved must be going through. But mm-hmm. you know, he is the the stuntman or the extra who was. I guess, pulled the trigger on the mm-hmm. gun that accidentally killed Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. You know, no one knows that guy's name. Right. I'm sure right. you could go find it, right. but no one really wants to do that. And, and mm-hmm. he was just an extra on a set that he, he probably was a prop worker mm-hmm. in general. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not claiming to know exactly what that was, but that's awful. And that's something that he has to yeah. like deal with a trauma that he has to deal with for the rest of his life. But mm-hmm. at least he can have kind of some, some space with that he yeah. and you know his loved ones or whoever can can move away from Hollywood can get away from that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I'm sure that he probably left the film industry or I, I don't I don't know for sure but yeah what I'm saying is he could get away from it Alec Baldwin is Alec Baldwin he's totally. one of the most recognizable names and faces in the world totally he now has this like yeah. not on his hands I don't want anyone to think that I'm like incriminating Alec yeah. Baldwin because it, it truly was an accident and something that if there was any kind of misstep taken that led to this, mm-hmm. probably not on his hands. It's not yeah. really the, the actor's job to like take care of those kind of things. Um, but it's still something he has to live with and he has mm-hmm. to live with very publicly for the rest mm-hmm. of his life. And that's mm-hmm. just awful. I can't even imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah. So ultimately, um, this really does come down to the conversation of set safety, which actually has been quite a conversation and discussion lately um, in Hollywood recently, uh, just with the IATSE union, um, which stands for International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Um, They just recently had threatened to go on strike um, unless their contracts were actually updated to provide better working conditions for crews. Um, And it's not just about gun safety, it's about proper breaks and their working hours and so many other things that ultimately keep uh, the crew safe and allow them to live happy, normal lives while they're also making these incredible productions. So, um, yeah, I'm just hopeful that as tragic as a situation like this is, that there will be genuine change from it, um, that can prevent something like this from ever happening again. Um, it was interesting that you brought up that the crow did end up like finishing filming Mm -hmm. and releasing and all of that. Um, there was an email from, Rust's crew from the production team. And it's noted that the filming of Rust has paused for now, but that it is a quote, pause and not an end. And I guess I just, yeah, I don't know how you pick up production on something like this after something so (laughs) tragic has happened. Like this was literally the film's star cinematographer and director, not even, yeah, not even taking into account everyone else who witnessed it, everyone else who, um, has been a part of this production that has been, seems like it's been a bit tumultuous in its own, um, right. Even before Mm -hmm. this happened, but how, how do you continue or how do you jump back into making something like that? Where does Alec Baldwin go from here? Do they completely scrap this? Like, yeah. yeah, I don't I, like. How do you? I don't go know. On? The right, I don't know the right answer. You know, there's something to be said for, you know, Helena loved making movies. That was yeah. her. That was her life. That was her her passion. There's something to be said for. Well, this is what she would have wanted. She would have. Yeah. She was passionate about this project. She wanted to make this project. She would have wanted us to see mm-hmm. this through. Mm-hmm. And there's also something to be said for, you know, how can we go? How can we go watch this movie where? Yeah. Alec Baldwin's character is probably shooting people, you know, right. in the in the context of the film, and totally, and just have like any sort of dignity or respect for her while what because it's it's not, you know, you want to respect the artistic vision mm-hmm. that she had, and you want right. to see that through, and you want to fulfill it, but there's a point where it's not going to be saw through because even if you do complete the film, the real world tragedy is just going to eclipse that by so tainted. much yeah. Yeah. that it's not going to achieve what she would have wanted originally anyway. Right. So it's actually kind of disrespecting her. Right. I'm not saying one of those two options are right. I'm not saying mm-hmm. any third option might be right. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a, it truly is just an impossible situation. It's, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, is just a big news story that uh, took place a few days ago. And I think we're still getting more information as you know, information is coming out and as, uh, details are emerging from all of this. So, um, obviously more to come on this and more to unfold, but, um, yeah, we just wanted to acknowledge that. And again, um, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to Helena's family and, um, Alec and Joel and just everyone involved, um, in that. So that's from this week. Hmm. 
All right. Well, moving on to our movie reviews for the week. Uh, we are reviewing Dune and Lamb, and I will be starting off with a review of Dune. So Dune 2021 is the latest film from director Denis Villeneuve. Uh, I That is how I've always said his name since I first heard of the director years ago and looked up how do you say this man's name. However, I watch you know a lot of things about film. He's yeah. one of the most notable directors alive. I've heard many different people, professional and not professional, say his name in a variety of different ways. Sure. So I've always stuck to Denis Villeneuve. That may be incorrect. I've never even heard him say his real name. So, you know, until then, and even if he did, it'd probably be with such a thick French accent that yeah. you're like, I'm not going to be able I to, can't <laughs> I can't do that anyway. So, um, but he is, uh, in my opinion, probably the best director of the 2010s in, in terms of his, his filmography speaks for himself. In 2010, mm-hmm. he, he directed uh, Incendi, uh, and then he directed, uh, obviously, Prisoners in 2013, Emmy in 2014, Sicario in 2015, Arrival in 2016, oh. and Blaine Rudder 2049, October uh, 7th, 2017, which you and I have spoken about our viewing of that film altogether. Mm-hmm. And he has just continuously gotten better. Uh, well, honestly... That might not even be true. He's just been <laughs> great at films from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. One of my favorite directors working. Arrival is one of my favorite films of this past decade. Blade Runner 2049 was one of the ballsiest uh, sequels we've gotten in literal decades and mm-hmm. probably one of the most flawless ones. Uh, so it made perfect sense for him to transition into taking on what people describe as the Bible of sci-fi, what people, yeah. a book that people have called uh, uh, unadaptable to the big screen for, mm-hmm. for over half a century. Um, so Dune is a novel from Frank Herbert, 1964, that many, many people, like I say, consider it like the Bible of sci-fi. It has more influence on modern day sci-fi than any other piece mm-hmm. of work. Uh, Star Wars, Blade Runner, um, star trek uh even like larger fantasy epics i'm not saying the books but adaptations of them like lord of the rings Hmm. probably wouldn't have come into play without influence from dune yeah um and it has long been kind of considered unadaptable mostly because it's been given attempts to adapt it and they've Mm -hmm. all they've all failed there was a tv show i think in the 70s or 80s that -hmm. did not work out at all i don't even really have too much information on it because it wasn't even something that was like fully released and people just didn't like it like it truly failed uh and then there was a movie by david lynch um in the 80s that also did not do super well Mm -hmm. and that was just a horrible mishire of a director i mean it's it's funny because i love david lynch Mm -hmm. but he's a singular vision kind of person and this this book is massive it's like a thousand pages long it's sprawling it has you have to kind of surrender as someone taking on the story you have to surrender yourself to the story that the book provides and say that I can't I really can't take this in too much different a direction because there's no space it's already too big Hmm. and if I'm gonna do that I'm going to cut out a ton of stuff and really change the story which he did and of course fans of the book don't really like that they Mm -hmm. want you to be faithful to the source material. Um, and he's such a visionary director that it was just never going to work for a film that they wanted to be as, as kind of blockbuster and as poppy. And he hated the, he hated the movie. I've seen this kind of resurgence of uh, Dune 
you know, David Lynch's Dune um, defenders online on Twitter, hmm. on film Twitter, people have said that, the, you know, this new one's not even anything compared to Lynch's version. Hmm. Lynch literally tried to have his name removed from that movie. Oh, my. You know, don't come out here and start acting like he needs you to fight for that film. He, he doesn't it. even he want did not to like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think that there's there's there has kind of a cult following this to this movie any of yeah. Lynch's works I think there's a certain charm to it I'm sure that it has that but ultimately it's not a good film and you don't need to come out here and be some sort of warrior for it mm-hmm. like just let it be what it is yeah. except the new you know what even you don't even have to love the new film but it just is what it is yeah Dune follows Paul Atreides son of Duke Leto and the house Atreides heir to the house Atreides uh, one of the most powerful houses in the entire universe. When the emperor, who's kind of the ruler of all this known universe, suddenly gives House Atreides rule over the desert planet Arrakis, also known as Dune, a centuries-old feud is brought to a head between them and the House Harkonnen, who used to own Dune, or excuse me, yeah, used to own Arrakis and ruled it with an iron fist, oppressing its native people, the Fremen, and mining it for its resource spiced the most powerful resource in the galaxy so that's a lot of characters that's a lot of (laughs) names right off the bat and i think if anything that's just a testament to why something like this has been quote unadaptable yeah it is a huge huge epic story and there's just too much to to fit in or or Mm -hmm. so we thought Mm -hmm. um dune does a fantastic job at getting people on track aware of the story without feeling like you know the first 10 minutes is just exposition there's about a 45 second exposition dump at the very beginning of the film which is shorter than most and Mm -hmm. then it does a really good job at introducing you to the people involved the Mm -hmm. kind of political dynamics um dune is a very political film uh without you really feeling like it's getting bogged down in the exposition and that's all credit to the nevenuv and his team uh, especially his writing team and just the power he has to adapt these massive, massive existing uh, source materials. I think that ultimately, so so I've I've read the first half of the book. Yeah. I, I had read about a quarter of the book. I'm not the world's fastest reader. I had a difficult time getting into it because it is just so dense. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where I kind of, I surrendered and I was like, I'm not going to finish this book before the movie comes out. And I, I stepped away from the book for a while. I'm also the type of reader that will read a quarter of a book and then not read it for like, you know, months at a time and then return. Yeah. And just in the two weeks, well, not even about 10 days before the release of this film, I decided, you know what? No, I can power through and oh at least get through gosh. the first half. Yeah. Because I do want to be clear. This is Dune part one, yeah. uh, which we knew about six months back or so, maybe a little bit more than that. However, when it was released, Dune part two was not guaranteed it kind of depended on how well this movie did luckily just earlier today it was announced that dune part two will officially happen so very excited to to for 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 denis to be able to get the chance to see through this story because he's he's set up so much in the story and Mm. in interviews you can tell how excited he is to just be able to to see that through I'm, I'm, i'm glad and for the fans of the friend or for the fans of the book to be able to get a definitive version on-screen version of their favorite film um i think that this movie is not perfect but i do think that it finally and especially now with 
with part two being confirmed is going to be at least until something else happens the definitive yeah visual version of this story and it's literally been 60 years in the making so that's really really special and no small feat mm-hmm. um however i do think that the film is almost faithful to a fault hmm. uh there there were times at the beginning of the film where i thought wow they're literally not leaving anything out and that's really hmm. really special there were times towards the end of the film that i thought wow they're really not leaving anything out and this might not be the best story-wise hmm. for the film. Yeah. Um, I think that this film acts, or excuse me, it, it ends in the middle of act two and that shows. It kind yeah. of plods around towards the, the latter third of the film. Um, and you can kind of tell, it almost feels like it's it's kind of just looking for its place the end, to end and looking for a place to rest its head momentarily hmm. before part two and doesn't quite know where to find it. Um, However, the first half of this film is absolutely enthralling. Yeah. And when going into it, I was very curious how hard it would be for those who haven't read the film to be aware of what's going on. And, and yeah. I went with a quite a large group and I've seen it with people since and everyone I've talked to, and I think you can speak to this, mm-hmm. it does a really good job at drawing you into those stories and making you care for those characters very quickly. Characters yeah. that in the book you spend hundreds of pages with. And in this mm-hmm. movie, you spend well, a couple hours with, mm-hmm. uh, really draws you in, is really good at, um, I think, first of all, this cast is off the charts. It's, mm-hmm. There's almost too many to name, but to, you know, casting a mix of really deep character actors and more everyday charming actors. So mm-hmm. you have you have character actors like uh, Javier Bardem, yeah. um, like, uh, like Oscar Isaac, mm-hmm. like uh stone scars guard mm-hmm. and then you have actors like jason momoa and mm-hmm. josh brolin and timothy chalamet and zendaya mm-hmm. nothing to, nothing against their acting but they're not necessarily character actors yeah uh but having that kind of on-screen charm of those everyday really likable actors mm-hmm. brings humanity to these characters that you don't get to spend much time with if you truly portrayed them in a more deeply accurate way to their characterization in the book audiences just might not get enough Hmm. from that to really care about them in the time that we're given. So I think that it was actually a really smart move to kind of stock this movie with two halves of not no, you know, no greater talent on either side of the ball, just uh, more deep character actors Mm -hmm. and more someone like Jason Momoa, I think was actually a really good choice. And I was actually pretty concerned about his character going into it just because I don't think Jason Momoa has the best arsenal of acting abilities. Um, but I think that he did a really good job and he brought humanity to Duncan Idaho's character mm-hmm. that we might not have gotten with someone more dedicated to the intricacies of the character represented in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that worked with the writing and the story just allows for an immediate understanding of the story mm-hmm. an immediate understanding of this grand, grand world. I mean, this is huge, huge operatic, epic fantasy storytelling um, and people are able to just get on board with it right away. Yeah. And yeah, the first half is just absolutely enthralling. Um, all the characters are great. Timothy Chalamet, um, not my favorite actor in the world, uh, but I think that he does do a really good job. He's about as, you know, brooding and, and, and uh, I don't know, lost and mysterious as can be. And I mean that as a good thing because mm-hmm. for the character in the first half of the book, it truly is someone who he, he's the audience surrogate of being introduced to all these things and these things that he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. And it is confusing. Mm-hmm. I, I 
there were there were little flourishes in his performance that made me really look forward to his his return in part two because hmm. part two really is, is going to do a lot more with him and with his character kind of all the seeds that have been set in the first part yeah. of the film the second part of the story kind of deals with the the repercussion of those and so sure. i think that he's going to have to really step up his game but i do think that he's he's going to be able to do it and i i look forward to that rebecca ferguson playing um his mother lady jessica probably gets the second most amount of screen time just as mm-hmm. she is often side by side with uh the character of paul because paul is only 15 in the story he's a pretty young boy uh you know he's not he's not 25 or yeah. whatever um and rebecca ferguson who i've i've long admired for you know she's famous for lip syncing in the, the greatest showman but uh <laughs> No, I, yeah, I do love, I do love Rebecca Ferguson, especially her role uh, in the last two Mission Impossible films. But um, she is absolutely fantastic as Lady Jessica. Her role in the film um, ties in the more mystical, fantastical mm-hmm. elements of the story with the more hard grounded sci-fi of the rest of the story. Yeah. So this is like, this is kind of that um, Blade Runner version of dystopic yet futuristic sci-fi. Uh, that has kind of that grounded um all the sets are are both natural and technologically advanced simultaneously mm-hmm. and um however all the the kind of fantastical elements of the story come from lady jessica mm-hmm. as she is a member of the benny jesuit which is basically a coven of witches uh, yeah. that exist kind of as a, a church in in this world not mm-hmm. really not really specifically attached to any state they they give advice to the emperor in certain moves <laughs> this is going to get into more complications of the plot of the book but they have this grand plan that they've been planning for centuries crossing bloodlines uh basically trying to breed a messiah type character and they think that paul might be this this person this Moabib. Yeah. um Anyway, so she brings in um, the the kind of fantastical elements of of the story, and I do think they do do a really good job. When I was reading the book, I really didn't picture a lot of that as as uh, as um, supernatural as the film hmm. portrays it. Hmm. But it's it's kind of adaptation, its view on this modern day witch kind of thing. Uh, I thought was really enjoyable. It's really I've interesting. T- yeah, yeah. I've talked to people who weren't familiar with the story before, and those were some of their favorite parts. They really enjoyed the Benny Jesser and their, their part in the story. And I think they pose some of the more interesting questions of the story, as far as greater questions of what it's all about rather than the political ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all the characters, I really, I loved Oscar Isaac in the role. Um, the first time I watched it, the, the movie just flew by and I was worried that there were characters that I, I spent so much time with on the page that we just weren't getting enough time with on screen to, mm. to truly flesh out their characters. On my second viewing of the film, um, I was really able to kind of sit back and see, no, we do, we do get really good characterization with them, especially Duke Leto, Oscar Isaac's character. Uh, we really kind of see a sympathetic side of him. Uh, last but not least, this movie is technologically basically the best you're going to get go see this movie on as big of a screen as you can production design photography uh audio mixing score like it is all touch 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 notch touch notch (laughs) top notch it is top shelf stuff uh it is so astounding i mean every Mm -hmm. other shot is just a masterpiece to behold the film sounds absolutely amazing 
Hans Zimmer outdoes himself for the 150th time in his career. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Creating a truly unique sound that is just bombastic and, and huge and intimate at times. And, oh, just so amazing. I loved, Mm -hmm. I loved it. And this is something Heather and I talked about um, just the other day, but this film was made for not that much money. I, I don't remember the exact numbers. Um, and to say not that much money is seems ridiculous. It's it's millions several, and millions. It's millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> but compared to other films, and I'm, yeah. I don't want to get into a rant about how you know ugly the MCU films are, but it, it, the the three MCU films made this year average out at like fifty million more per film than yeah. Dune was made. Yeah. And Dune is literally about as visually stunning as a film can get. Totally. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, even if you just go see it for that alone, mm-hmm. you'll be you'll be completely entranced by it. Um just really bringing you into the world. The problem I had with this film is that it is a part one. And yeah. I already kind of hinted at that. But for all of the creative risks that uh Denis takes, he sticks to the story too much at the end um that it just kind of misshapen and it it doesn't have a lot of form to it what mm-hmm. what burst onto the screen in the first half as a truly like driving and 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 sharp kind of portrayal of this book turned into a, a very faithful adaptation at the end but one that lost its footing a little mm-hmm. bit and just kind of mm-hmm. wandered around looking for a place to end um do i think that maybe that'll play out a lot better once we have a second half to lead right into definitely could be but as of now that's what it is and Mm -hmm. i'm judging this movie based on this movie alone Mm -hmm. um i don't think that all the elements coalesce perfectly however i don't i can't sit here right now and tell you a better way it could have been done Mm -hmm. so that's why when i when i look at this and i say i don't think this was a perfect movie i do think it's one of the best films of the year i think that it's absolutely sounding i i think that everyone should see it I don't think it's perfect. However, I think that it will be considered kind of the definitive on-screen version because I cannot imagine a better way to have done it. Sure. I just can't see it as possible. Maybe yeah. someone one day will, but as of right now, it's pretty much as perfect as you'll get mm-hmm. considering you know, the task that was at hand. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it can be understand, understated or really understood how intense of an undertaking this was for Denis. Yeah. Um, and so, so props to, the, to him and the whole crew making a truly daring, thought-provoking sci-fi epic, one that I think people will look back on and rank, you know, in the same heart as Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. movies that have just captured generations. I hope that this, this boosts a new interest among, amongst young fans in the book and really, yeah, there's so much to be had there uh, in the first book alone, let alone a whole universe of books that frank herbert continued and his son i think is still writing Mm. um but there's so much depth to all of it to be Mm. explored if you're a fan of sci-fi this is a no-brainer this is a can't miss yeah yeah there's so there's so much to be loved in this film yeah yeah i um sci-fi is not my go-to genre (laughs) um and i was a little bit nervous going into this movie because i feel like there has been um, just for in the community of film lovers and all of that, there's been so much anticipation for this film. So going into it, I think 
Um, I think I was nervous that I was going to watch it. I wasn't going to get it. And I therefore wasn't going to enjoy it, but everyone around me was going to enjoy it. And then like, I'm going to feel like the silly person who has missed something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the old, um, adaptations of it, but I felt, um, I felt like it guided me through so well that I didn't feel lost. I feel like I got a really solid foundation of the people and the story. Um, and I really appreciated that as I think it probably could have had the potential to be so in the weeds or so highbrow that it just misses people. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually very attainable for people to see. So my, um, plea to you, I guess would be if you are not normally a sci-fi person and you're nervous about going to see a movie like this, go see it because story-wise, I think it's really, really great, especially the first half, like you mentioned. Um, and then of course, just visually stunning as well. So put yourself out there, try something different. I do think it really helps you and it's, it's really clear. Um, but I do totally agree. This is very much felt very much felt foundational. And I think I got to the end and was like, Oh, that's all. I'm like, yep. that's it. Um, very open to the next one. And I'm actually it, I think it did its job because I'm actually excited for the second half of this. Yeah. Um, which I don't know that going into this, I, I would have uh, necessarily would be, yeah. yeah predicted that for myself. Um, yeah, it it's just stunning. I you can't I don't think I don't think you can understand it enough. I guess if you've seen um some of Denis's other works then maybe you do have an idea of his style or just his ability. Um but even the way that he makes the sand dunes just look gorgeous. Yeah. There's yeah. this initial flyover shot of the sand dunes. It was stunning. It's mm-hmm. just sand, <laughs> but it was great. Um I also really we talked about this a little bit. I really enjoyed the design of the different aircrafts and mm-hmm. um spaceshipy type <laughs> things. Yeah. I guess um which again is not normally my thing, but I just really enjoyed the way that he was able to bring this world together and, and create yeah, it and design always, it. Denis has always had a really good knack in his sci-fi efforts for bringing together these unique designs, these really intriguing designs for, for aircrafts, for creatures, for whatever, uh, in a sense that, that gives it a, a sense of physical presence in mm-hmm. our world. He always yeah. frames them to where there's something in the frame where we we understand the size of it, whether it's a tiny human next to this thing, or we understand the size of this dune because we saw the building next to it and we saw the human next to the building. Mm-hmm. Now, when we see the ship, we understand the gravity of like how big this ship is next mm-hmm. to other things because our your mind puts together that information. Yeah. When you just see a ship floating in the sky next to nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you can, it's implied how big it is, but there's no, it doesn't feel as present in that story. Mm -hmm. And he always has done a really good job at that. That's not easy to do. It might seem like, Oh, that's easy. So whenever you have a, you have a shot of like a big ship, 
put something next to it. But, you know, story doesn't always provide for that. Mm-hmm. But he's really creative in his shots and his ways of, mm-hmm. of grounding this huge, huge, huge fantastical story yeah. in something that feels ever present and ever real. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, it's super impressive. Yeah. Something that was surprising to me was how, um, I don't, I guess not necessarily how little Zendaya is in this because her face is in it or like her presence is in it quite a bit. Um, but her actual lines right. <laughs> and like current presence, uh, is not as much. And I think I was expecting to see more from her. So again, this is like we have mentioned part it's one. So part I think, one, yeah. I think she will become a lot more of a presence in part two, mm-hmm. but it felt uh, a little bit, um, similar to the Ana de Armas situation in no time to die, hmm. where I feel yeah. like she was very much like kind of uh, used yeah used a lot in the marketing and then her actual part in the movie was much smaller not that again Zendaya is like quote-unquote in this Mm -hmm. quite a bit uh in various ways but um yeah I just thought that part was interesting of like oh I don't know that I heard her speak until you know the end or whatever so uh that was just interesting to me yeah 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 uh, yeah, if you're a Zendaya fan and and you're watching this movie solely to see her performance, uh, yeah, go do it. She's in it so much. Oh my gosh, she's like takes up the whole movie. It's almost annoying. Wow, you're gonna see the so Zendaya much of her. show. <laughs> no, she's not. She's not. Mm. Uh, she doesn't have a ton of presence in the film as far as dialogue goes, um, but she will play a huge part in in the Thank upcoming you. sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will also say that Stellan Skarsgård, Star Skars. Oh my gosh, Skarsgård, Stellan. Skarsgård's mm-hmm. character he is just daunting Grotesque. and oh, gross yes. so yeah. gross um in in like the way that I feel like only Stellan Skarsgård can be <laughs> like he I mean, is that, such a, in the, best the biggest compliment <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh he is such an interesting uh person to me and just his yeah, he just feels very moldable. And sure. I thought he was he was a great cast for that role. Yeah, yeah. He I honestly couldn't have thought of anyone better for the role. You know, when you're reading the book, that's exactly what you picture. Hmm. Um, yeah, he does a fantastic job. Uh Dave Bautista plays his nephew, um, who really I I he wasn't featured a ton in the film. I would have loved more from him, but mm-hmm. when he is in there, he's definitely brutal and 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 uh scary yeah <laughs> i guess uh definitely leaves all memories of uh drax behind yeah <laughs> um but he, he does he plays evil drax basically um yeah. <laughs> kind of this brutish not super intelligent but just brute force uh that serves you know his uncle stone scars character mm-hmm. uh baron harkonnen but um yeah, absolutely. The film, like, it, there's so much to like, but there's also just so much seed planting. And and Denis has said in interviews I've watched, even since the film came out, he's he said, you know, talking as if part two was happening, which at the time he didn't know, although it is now. He was just saying how you know I've I've laid all the groundwork. Now part two, I can just play with cinema. Hmm. And I'm like, I. I want to watch. Was play this with him not playing? Yeah, exactly. Cinema? That's like, come on. You know, I'm I'm so excited for part two, and not to take away from how good this film is. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Go see Dune. It's one of the best films of the year. 
I saw a tentative release date for part two of October, 2023. Um, yeah, so who knows if that will actually happen, but also that gives me a couple years to try to maybe attempt to read it. <laughs> the book is a daunting, it's, it's a daunting yeah, task. It's yeah. so daunting. And yeah, I don't know, maybe now having, because I have heard from people who have read it that the first half in particular is quite difficult to get through. Um, but then once you do the work of getting through that, that the rest of it is, is really enthralling. So I'm also curious if now having seen the first part of it, maybe at least some of it, obviously, um, if that might make it a little bit easier to get into it, having more of a visual, um, to assign to it. Kind of a companion piece. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. I think that it could. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Dune is playing in theaters like Wyatt suggested, go see it on the biggest screen you can. It, is also currently streaming on no HBO. it's not they they actually took it off hbo max so <laughs> you can't watch it there anymore don't even don't even try to look for it because it's not going to be there you have you have to watch it in theaters no it is it is streaming <laughs> it on, is HBO on hbo max, max. for the next month but yeah. guys please if you feel comfortable yeah 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 if you if you don't feel comfortable going to the theater that's okay stop listening to this if you're still <laughs> listening get your butt to a theater please mm-hmm. i am literally begging you the biggest screening you can find if you go to buy your tickets online there's only a couple seats in there and you realize oh that's one of the theaters it's kind of smaller don't buy them wait till the next day go see this the biggest you know screen you can find sit right in the middle 40 percent of the way up my oh. ideal seats and just let this film immerse you mm. oh my goodness it's so good it's good good stuff good stuff Well, moving on to film number two for today's episode, I'm going to be reviewing Lamb. Um, Lamb is the latest film from A24 and director Vladimir Johansson. Um, This is his first feature length film, but he has also uh, directed a short. And then he's actually been involved with a lot of other projects that I'm sure most of you would be familiar with, like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, The Tomorrow War, and Rogue One. largely working with like special effects, but also camera and lighting and different things like that. So um, kind of fun to look at his, uh, just his resume thus far to see kind of the journey that he's been on um, Mm -hmm. leading to his feature length directorial debut of Lamb. Uh, Lamb is set in rural Iceland and it follows the story of a couple, um, Maria and Ingvar, who are sheep farmers. Uh, And as the movie starts out, it's a quiet, seemingly um, normal life for Maria and Ingvar. It's very uh, kind of slow and isolated. It's just the two of them um, farming (laughs) their sheep, uh, raising sheep and doing other farm things. Um, However, during sheep birthing season, spring, um, a, a gift if you will, comes to them uh, and turns their world upside down. Um, if you have seen the trailer for this, you know likely what that gift is. Um, should I say it? Uh, it's your review. That is up to you. <laughs> uh, but there, so, there is a right and a wrong answer. <laughs> okay. Well, it's in the trailer, so I feel 
I think I feel okay saying it. Um, the gift that comes to them is a sheep human hybrid, um, of a child. So that happens, uh, as in sheep human hybrid, as in it, it acts normally, but then you plug it in electronically and it doesn't use gas. Oh, hilarious <laughs> um the sheep human comes to them uh anyways this is a story of marriage and parenthood and grief and um even even the question of mother nature and our role in um honoring or not mother nature mm-hmm. uh anyways as a whole i think i i think as I have sat with it, I have enjoyed it more and can appreciate it a bit more. Um, so I think I would give it a seven out of 10 if I had to give it a score, which I put that on myself (laughs) to give it a score. Um, if I had to give a score, I'm going to choose to give it a score and this is that score. (laughs) And that's what I'd give it. But only because I have to now. Only because I have to, because I made myself. Um, so some of the things that I enjoyed about this film, it, It truly is a stunning portrayal of rural Iceland. It has Mm. incredible cinematography um, and sound design to match. Um, There is pretty little dialogue in this. So um, it it does just really play off of the land. It's a relatively simple story. Um, It kind of covers this folk tale, this folklore. um, And it's actually adapted from an Icelandic tale. So I think just really highlighting Iceland and its customs and its people and its land uh, was just really beautiful. And this is actually Iceland's official submission for the 2022 Oscars for Best International Feature. Um, So we'll see what happens with that in a few months. But um, just a visually stunning film, which again is is something I would expect from an A24 film, uh, but just really, really beautiful. Um, It, like I mentioned, is a pretty simple story that I think leaves a lot up to the audience to to kind of determine or interpret. Um, As Wyatt and I talked about this, we actually both uh, kind of came to different conclusions about what we thought it meant, um, particularly the birth of this lamb human (laughs) hybrid baby. Um, and there is, like I said, very little dialogue. So I think it gives you enough of a story for you to kind of glean some things, but also leaves enough open and leaves you with enough questions for you to really, um, have the space to pick from it what you will, um, which I know will likely be frustrating for some people. I think, I think myself in particular, I am, I don't do great with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think especially with a movie, I want to know, like, what is the meaning? What is the purpose? What is the story behind these things? Um, But at the same time, I think there is also a freedom and being able to watch it and kind of allow your mind to, to figure out what it means. Yeah. yeah. Lean into that ambiguity. I I haven't talked to one person since who's seen this movie that has a completely, you know, identical yeah. view of what it was about or what it yeah. meant or what was really going on than any other person. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I understand the frustration there, but 
for those of you who kind of feel that way, I would just encourage you, you know, like lean into that, utilize Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. free yourself of the responsibility of telling the story. You know, it's, it's not yours to tell it's yours to get to discover. Um, there's actually a quote from it's, it's a quote from Dune. I'm I'm not going to quote it exactly right, but they say at the end of the movie and it's, you know, life is not a mystery for us to discover, but, a like an experience for us to, or a journey mm. for us to experience. And, mm. and films like this, you know, you're not the one creating the film. You don't need to burden yourself with that. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't make sense to you. Like, yeah. that's okay. Just allow yourself to kind of play with it and, and see how it makes you feel and what that might possibly mean. I think it's a really, really cool thing to have a film like this that mm-hmm. offers people that discussion afterwards. So immediately, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's great. Um, and then uh, last but not least, it just has, so it has three main characters uh, outside of the um, sheep human uh, baby. Um, so three main actors. I These names are difficult, so I apologize uh, in advance, but Numi Rep rapace uh as maria as the the wife um in the story hilmer <laughs> snare guanison as ingvar uh the husband and then bjorn hilner haraldson as peter um who is ingvar's brother who comes to stay with ingvar and maria um after the birth of this um child he doesn't know that it's a surprise when he gets there. So mm-hmm. that's a fun surprise for him. Yeah. Um, but don't yeah. you just hate that when you go to visit your, you know, your brother and his wife and you find their baby is half human, half sheep. Yeah. Well, it is applicable to my life a little bit in that <laughs> I just mm-hmm. got back go from on. visiting, <laughs> visiting my sister and my brother-in-law who did just have a baby and I did just go to visit them. Uh, and upon and, visiting them, I found a normal human baby and she's uh, so cute. That's but disappointing. <laughs> to, um, if I had walked in and saw that she had the head of a lamb mm-hmm. and the lower half of a human and one arm of a lamb and mm-hmm. one arm of a human, mm-hmm. what would you have done? Yeah, I think I probably would have had a similar reaction to um, Peter when he uh, sees it for the first time, uh, which you'll have to go see the movie to find out what his reaction is. Um, I think it would have been truly shocking, obviously. (laughs) And I don't I I don't know. I don't know how you just um, how you just accept it, which is which is very much something that happens in this story and in this family yeah. it's just yeah. accepted yeah, i don't think i don't think anyone knows how they would react personally like if i walked in and i saw that i would get on my phone go to google and immediately look up recipes for lamb and oh just see what's Awful. cooking for dinner <laughs> Awful. Um, uh Back to my point, <laughs> um, three fantastic performances by uh, the actors in this film. Um, 
as I have mentioned, there is very little dialogue in this movie, but the way that the three of these characters are able to use their facial expressions and their body language and their tone when they do speak or um, just the emotion that they're able to convey, uh, I think tells you more than most of the dialogue that they uh, speak throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It's also really fascinating how... Um, how you like I was rooting for them and I wanted them to be happy but I don't like know them particularly I don't really you don't really know their story you can glean some things like we've talked about but um there was still just this presence of like I want them to be happy I want the best for them I'm rooting for them I'm rooting for their marriage I'm rooting for their family Mm -hmm. um even when motivations seem unclear and and just there's so much ambiguity you still have the sense of uh kind of protection over them you want them to be okay and i think that just speaks to really really sympathetic characterization and sympathetic uh acting yeah which i just thought was excellent so Mm -hmm. well done to them Uh, a couple of the things i didn't love as much if you have seen the trailer, the trailer very much presents this film as a horror film, as a hereditary, midsummer, creepy, weird, horrific tale. Um, and although there is certainly a lot of tension that's built throughout the film, there's this sense of like dread and foreboding. Um, it is not at all a a thriller or a horror film, um, which is what I think I was expecting. And I think is what I wanted. Um, It's a very slow burn throughout. There's not a lot that happens um, until like maybe the last, honestly, the last like couple minutes Mm -hmm. um, is when a lot of that tension and buildup that you have felt throughout just waiting for something and waiting for something, something finally happens. Um, and then the movie's over. So I think that left me feeling there's like this feeling of being unsettled throughout the movie as a whole. But then at the end, I think I just felt unsatisfied Mm -hmm. and maybe that's a picture of, of them and their life and like what they're going through. Um, but I think, as we have talked about with a few different movies that we've reviewed, the trailer set me up to believe that this was something different than it actually was. And I think I wanted that. I wanted what the trailer was selling. And I don't think that's ultimately what we got. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I said, the movie is pretty slow, which I think obviously is intentional. They are Icelandic sheep farmers in rural Iceland. Life is pretty slow. Nothing is going on. And what is going on is what we're seeing in the movie. Um, But I do think nothing is going on. We say about a couple who just had a (laughs) baby sheep hybrid. (laughs) Okay. So there's like something going on. (laughs) Just your everyday Icelandic sheep farmer life. But the, but really like, no, it's true. That's one of the biggest things which, which anyone having a baby is like a big change in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is a, a big thing that happens, but ultimately the it's even in the midst of that big thing happening, 
it's like not a, it doesn't feel like a big thing. Like it feels like it should, that should be a big thing in your life to yeah, bring I a think child that's an into your home. Design yeah. Of the film. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's just, there's not much going on. And like I mentioned, there's most, most of that buildup happens in the last maybe quarter of the film. Um, so I just wish there was a little more of that scattered throughout. Uh, and then last but not least, I did not love some of the CGI on this sheep baby, especially as you see the full body of it, as it, um, is getting a little bit older and is going out of the home and doing things yeah. with them. Pretty, um, pretty shoddy at times. It's pretty cheesy. And for, for such a like dreadful atmospheric movie that felt cheap to me at times, um, yeah. which was mm-hmm. just a bummer. They try to make it quite, quite cutesy at times and i you know afterwards i I was talking to a friend who also saw it and she said um she said well you know the 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 beginning of the film like when you first kind of see it looks a lot more realistic than the end and Mm -hmm. and the beginning of the film they really hide kind of the human elements they just show the sheep's head it's often it's a baby so it's swaddled up um, and that's one to kind of preserve the more shocking value of seeing a half human, half sheep walk around. Yeah. But two, they probably just use the real sheep for those scenes. Sure. You can't see its feet and no need to use, yeah. you know, CGI. Yeah. So that's why it looked more realistic. It's, it's probably a real sheep. And then yeah. once you ha- start having scenes that physically cannot be done sure. that way, uh, as it gets older and it moves around, they had to then put a CGI version of that real sheep's head mm-hmm. on this kid's body mm-hmm. but they want it to be expressive they want it to grow as a character in the film so they kind of give it this unrealistic expressionary yeah. kind of face yeah. to this just animal and yeah it doesn't look fantastic at times i think it's almost purposely unsettling at times mm-hmm. um and it almost you know the movie really attempts to draw you in and allow you to accept this as like a natural and a and a, and a normal and, and a good thing and totally. in reality the, the movie isn't fully convinced that any of those three are true mm-hmm. uh but it wants you to kind of buy into that uh and while the cutesiness of it certainly does that to a degree it also distracts and just some pretty yeah. poor cgi yeah 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 so all in all um I, like I said, I have enjoyed this as I have sat with it more at the end of it. I was left feeling a little bit like, what, what did I just watch? (laughs) Uh, the, the fellow next to me was having quite a lot of reactions throughout (laughs) as there are a couple of reveals, um, throughout the film that he was just really, really enjoying slash having a hard time with, I think, uh, which was enjoyable to be sitting next to someone who was so outwardly expressive as they are watching such an odd film. Um, but I really do, even as we were talking about it and hearing, um, kind of your interpretation of, of what you thought some things meant and talking about, what my interpretation was, I think it does just have a lot to offer you and to think about and, um, has some great themes. Like I mentioned about talking through, um, parenthood and relationships and grief and, um, 
yeah, even this, this idea of mother nature and what do we take from mother nature and how do we honor that or not? Um, so I think it, it does just has, it has a lot to offer. And, um, so I'd encourage you to go see it, but do you have any other thoughts that you want to add? No, I think that about wraps it up. Cool. Well, that cool. is Lamb. Um, it is out in theaters right now. Uh, and like I said, this is an official entry for potentially um, an Oscar selection. So uh, we'll see if it ends up uh, getting chosen to be in the running for best international feature. Uh, but well done to Iceland. If anything, it's a, an incredible uh, film just highlighting, like I said, the land of Iceland, uh, and also hearing people speak Icelandic. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have ever really heard people speak Icelandic. So, um, that is special. Yeah. 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 That's lamb. Uh, before we wrap things up, I do have a bit of a, uh, an assignment for our listeners. Ooh. If you are, so we have a, we have a conversation coming up in our in some future episodes where we're going to kind of dive deep into um, what it looks like to adapt books to screen or adapt anything to, to the movie screen um, and kind of the pros and cons of faithful adaptations and artistic liberties and all that. Uh, I want to get a jumping off point that, uh, excuse me, a jumping off point using Dune. So if you've listened to this episode, if you're listening to this episode and you have watched Dune, go over to Instagram, or if you don't have Instagram, go to email reach out to us at two takes on film and give us your ranking of Dune. We'll say mm. out of 10, maybe you can do like a 0.5 if you really, if you really feel specific about it and specify whether or not you have any familiarity with the book beforehand. Uh, if you haven't heard of the book at all, if you've heard of the book and know a bit about it, but haven't read it, or if you're a diehard fan book, either way, specify kind of what your relationship with the source material is and how you feel about the film. And I kind of want to get just a general sense of how people feel about this so far from you, our listeners. So go do that. I love that. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Can't wait. But until then, watch a lot of movies and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. popping bubble wrap so satisfying i think it's just our natural tendency as humans for destruction Mm. Mm, yeah